spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. Mean Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because, as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pros Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. Can you believe that January is almost over? Yep, one month down, 11 more months to go this year. Hopefully the pandemic will end before the year does. This week, I've seen and received a lot of questions about different hormone results and genetic screening results with the most common question being what the maternal serum alpha fetal protein or AFP result means. So we're going to talk about it today. So AFP, which stands for alpha fetal protein, is a protein normally made by the baby's liver. It is found in the fluid or the amniotic fluid surrounding the baby in the uterus. AFP goes through the placenta and into the mother's bloodstream. A positive or elevated AFP means there's a higher likelihood of having a baby with a neural tube defect, which is the same thing as having uh, saying that there's spina bifida or a spinal cord defect. And that's when there is a hole in the skin and the opening or the covering of the spine. So the spine is then exposed to the amniotic fluid, okay? Uh, But it could also indicate that there's an increased risk for abdominal wall defects. So like I said, AFP is made by the baby's liver. So if there's an abdominal wall defect, meaning the belly, okay, or by the belly button, if the contents of the abdomen are outside, so the bowel is floating in the amniotic fluid, well, obviously the alpha fetal protein could leak out as well because it's made by the liver and the liver's in the abdomen. So when we say abdominal wall defects, that is what we mean, okay? There's a hole at the insertion. The insertion of the umbilical cord is where the belly button will be. So basically it's like bile is coming through the belly button or it could be a defect to the side of the belly button or where the belly button would be. And so the difference of that is if it's... uh, a hole or a defect in the in the wall or the skin of the abdomen where the belly button would be and it's covered by a thin layer, okay, then that would be called an omphalocele, okay, which is like a, a defect with a bowel or even the liver can bulge through uh, the defect in the abdomen, but it's covered by like a very a thin membrane, okay, versus a gastroschisis, which I'm pretty sure you guys have heard me talk about before in the past. It's a defect that's just to the left or the right of the cord insertion, um, where or so the left or the right of where the belly button would be, where the bowel comes through, okay, and it's free-floating. So the bowel can come through and be free-floating in the amniotic fluid with no covering over it, okay? 
That's what we mean. One of those two things. That's what we mean by abdominal wall defect. Okay. A defect where the belly button would be or either to the side of the belly button. Okay. But don't worry because realistically, there are a lot of people who have an elevated AFP that get an anatomy scan and nothing's wrong. The baby's just fine. And this is the case a lot of the time, actually. But these pregnancies should still be monitored pretty closely. Patients that have an unexplained elevated maternal serum fetal protein, meaning unexplained like there's no spinal cord defect, there's no uh, abdominal wall defect, so we really don't know why it's elevated. Those people still have an increased risk of having smaller babies. Smaller babies have a higher risk of stillbirth and the flow through the umbilical cord should be monitored every one to two weeks to ensure that everything is normal. Okay. So when we have that hormone that's elevated, it's not, we, we tell you these risks, people freak out. We are monitoring you very closely. So you won't have a stillbirth. Okay. That's the goal that we monitor you closely to see um, that everything's okay. If the blood flow through the umbilical cord becomes abnormal, then that may mean that you need to be delivered early to avoid a stillbirth or a bad outcome, okay? An elevated alpha fetal protein is also associated with an increased risk of preeclampsia. If you listen to enough episodes, you already know that preeclampsia is high blood pressure and high protein in the urine during the pregnancy, okay? It can also be diagnosed postpartum uh, if you're within six weeks of delivering. So make sure to go back Listen to that episode on preeclampsia to learn more. It, yep, it's in season one. And by now, y'all should have caught up with season one. If you haven't, go back and catch up. So now that you know a little bit more about alpha fetal protein or what we call AFP, the spina bifida test, let's go to some cases. Our first case is a 24-year-old who is 21 weeks pregnant with her first child. She initiated her prenatal care at 19 weeks and presents for her first high-risk ultrasound due to an elevated AFP of 3.05 MOMs. During the ultrasound, she found out that she was having twins. Both babies appear to be normal for gestational age. She presents to find out the reason for her elevated AFP hormone level. All right, so this is pretty typical. Somebody gets late prenatal care. They've never had an ultrasound before. So um, she gets her hormones drawn for genetic testing late. They are going by her last menstrual period and her AFP level comes back elevated. So there's a couple of reasons that it could be elevated. So the main reason is that you're having twins, right? So if we're looking at an AFP level and they didn't know you were having twins, then it's going to read high because twins have a bigger placental mass. And if you have dichorionic twins, there's two placentas there. So these hormones are going to be hormones because you have a lot of livers there. You have two livers that's making AFP plus hormones secreted from the placenta. So it's only natural that we use a cutoff of twice normal. So so this AFP or um, alpha fetal protein level is actually not elevated for twins, okay? Um, Let's say you were having a singleton. The other reason that I find very common for people to have an elevated AFP is that the, the due date is off. So someone is going by a due date of January 5th when their due date 
honestly should be December 20th. Okay, that's a real reason that your AFP level can be off, right? The further you get along, the higher your AFP level is. So if your dates are off, that could explain that. And we have to sometimes get the lab to recalculate your AFP level, okay? But in this situation, I really truly think if the dates are are, are accurate, that it's just because you are having twins, okay? Now, twins, regardless, do have a higher risk of having being smaller. So if you have a twin pregnancy, you do need growth scans every four weeks. We have to keep an eye on the growth. And then if you have monochorionic twins, um, then we even need to monitor you even more closely. So if you have monodot twins, you're being seen every other week. If you have mono mono twins meaning they're swimming in the same sac so both babies one placenta one gestational sac you're actually being monitored in the hospital pretty much from 24 weeks and up because there's a risk that the cords can tangle themselves so twins get monitored frequently we already know they're sharing a house there's a higher risk of of there being uh, smaller babies so yeah you're going to be monitored like a hawk this pregnancy so the case pearl for this case is multiple gestations like twins or triplets mean that there's a higher hormone level and a common reason for an elevated AFP level. All right, medical intern, what's our second case? The second case is a 29-year-old who is 31 weeks pregnant with her second child. Her first pregnancy was uneventful, but the baby ended up being small for gestational age and only weighed six pounds and one ounce at the time of delivery. And she delivered three days past her due date. On ultrasound, her baby was found to be very small, measuring at the third percentile. She read that baby aspirin could help reduce the risk of having a small baby. She wants to know if this is true and what else she could do to increase the weight of her baby. All right, so it sounds like she just may have small babies. And that could be for a number of reasons. One, you have a history of having a small baby. So it could be constitutional. Like if you're shorter like me, or you're extremely small, you have a smaller BMI, you have a higher risk of having a smaller baby. So you probably need to be monitored a little bit closer during the pregnancy. Two, babies that have structural defects, like heart defects and brain defects and things like that, have a higher risk of also being small because there's not good blood circulation from the heart if you have a heart defect. There's not a good signal from the brain uh, if you have a brain defect. Those babies tend to be smaller. And it sounds like your baby was found to be pretty normal except for being uh, on the smaller side. Um, so the placenta and the placenta not implanting into the wall of the uterus, so the placenta is not getting good blood flow, is a diagnosis of exclusion. So that's something we would monitor you for even if we couldn't find anything else. Um, the other thing we want to manage you for to make sure you don't have is an infection. So there are different viruses and um, infections that can cross the placenta and we look for. Sometimes we can see little calcification in the liver or calcifications in the brain um, that give us a clue that maybe there is an infection and then we screen you um, for what's called a tort titer, okay? Torch screens you for things like uh, toxoplasmosis and rubella and CMV and herpes. Those are viruses that can cross the placenta and cause some pretty bad defects in a baby if in the first trimester, but also can cause growth restriction and um, congenital blindness and cognitive delay, depending on what, what the infection is. 
So we would screen you from for that if we saw signs of that on ultrasound. But if we didn't see signs of that on ultrasound, if the baby um, had no structural defects and we have isolated growth restriction of the baby, which is anything that's below the 10th percentile, then we automatically have to monitor you for placental insufficiency or the placenta not attaching or adhering to the wall of the uterus as, as tightly as it needs to and not giving adequate flow to the baby. We'd have to monitor you for that because we wouldn't find out if that were the case until after the placenta is out and the placenta goes to pathology. Now, let's talk about what's normal in terms of percentile because I had a patient that says, you know, doc, uh, why is my baby at the 48th percentile? Wouldn't it be needing to be closer to 100 because 100 is A+. Plus. And so anything 90 of above, above is good. No, y'all, it don't work like that, okay? So we put babies on the scale, one being the smallest baby, 100 being the biggest baby, and babies' weights are actually graphed on like a bell-shaped curve. So anything that is less than the 10th percentile is considered small. Anything that's bigger than the 90th percentile is considered big. We worry about babies that are less than the 10th percentile because of the margin of error and the fact that they could really be less than the 5th percentile. The babies that are less than 5th percentile are the babies that have an increased risk of stillbirth, okay? And because of abnormal blood flow. So we monitor anybody less than the 10th percentile every one to two weeks, depending on how small the baby is, to look at what's called umbilical artery dopplers or the blood flow from the placenta through the umbilical cord to make sure we always have forward flow towards the baby. We should never have blood moving from the baby back toward the placenta, okay? That would be a sign of abnormal blood flow. And it's a sign that your baby is like starving for blood, okay? We start to see issues with cardiac output. We see signs of cardiac strain. And that would mean your baby is going to poop out and would be at increased risk of passing away. And so when we start to see that blood flow going from the baby to the placenta, that's called reversal of flow. And that would necessitate a delivery regardless of gestational age if it's persistent, okay? If you have just intermittent absent blood flow, like, hey, the blood is moving toward the baby, but sometimes there are little pauses in the blood flow. Like, it's not as good as it should be. If you're already over the 32nd week, then we would just outright deliver you, okay? But if you're under that, we watch you closely and look at the blood flow a couple times a week to make sure that we don't have any signs of that reversal that I talked about, okay? That could put you at a higher risk of of a, a stillbirth. Now, to your question, hey, you heard baby aspirin can help reduce your risk of having a small baby. That's a lie. That's not true. We love baby aspirin. I think everybody should get baby aspirin, but not because it reduces the risk of having a small baby. It reduces your risk of having preeclampsia. Aspirin started between 12 and 16 weeks, reduce your risk of preeclampsia. Like I said, go back, listen to the episode on preeclampsia, okay? But it doesn't necessarily reduce your risk of having a small baby. Now, people with preeclampsia do actually have a high risk of having small babies, but it's not the smallness of the baby we're reducing the risk of. It's the actual preeclampsia that we're reducing the risk of. So I wanna make sure we don't confuse those two points. Now, what can you do to increase the weight of your baby? Nothing, mama. You didn't do anything wrong. Everybody always wants to know, like, what can I do? What can I eat? What can I do? Nothing, okay? You did not do anything wrong to cause your baby to be small. If you eat, and don't go start eating overtime because that's not going to help. Because if the placenta is not functioning how it needs to function, there's nothing you can do 
to give yourself more calories or nutrients to cause that to flow from the placenta to the cord. It doesn't work like that. Babies, even moms that are on the vent, even moms that are starving, babies take from you first and leave you with the leftovers. So before it's a nutritional thing that's causing this, you would be fragile, mama. You'd be frail. You would be, you would feel horrible because you would be nutritionally depleted. Not the baby. The baby is, listen, these babies, you have these babies. And let me tell you, they're going to take from you for the rest of your life. Okay. They're going to take from you. Out the wound, in the wound, they're going to take from you forever. Okay. And in the beginning, they're going to be selfish. They're not going to even know they're taking from you. Okay. They don't know. That's just like when you, when the kid is like five and they're like, I want McDonald's. And you were thinking, I don't have no McDonald's money. They don't understand money. They don't know. So you what? Scraping up your last to make sure that this baby has what he asked for, right? Because you're sacrificing for your child. You do so not knowing in pregnancy as well, okay? Because the baby is going to take from you first and leave you with the leftovers. So there's nothing you've done wrong. There's nothing you can do to t- to to reverse this. There's nothing that you can do to cause your baby not to be small. Now, I want you to keep your energy level up, okay? You should be eating frequent meals throughout the day to make sure that you're getting enough protein in and you have enough water in, but there's nothing to cause this. And I hate when, you know, some doctors will pe- tell people, oh, well, you're not eating enough protein. Okay, you're not eating enough protein for you, okay? And we want you to eat protein for you, but you didn't cause your baby to be small, Okay. Even if it was that you were so nutritionally depleted that that's the reason why it's not like you're like, I'm going to start my baby to death today. Like get that out of your head. Like you didn't do this. You did not do this. So all you can do is continue to go through the pregnancy and make sure you are nutritionally adequate. Like you're eating frequent meals throughout the day and drinking enough water and then going to your appointments to make sure that we're monitoring you just in case we have to deliver you early. Now I'll say this. You're probably going to go through the rest of this pregnancy. You're going to get a whole bunch of pictures of this baby and you could have a small screaming baby and nothing's going to be wrong. Okay. I do this day in and day out. I diagnose little babies all the time and nine times out of 10, we're not, we don't have to deliver early. It's that 10% of the time that we have to deliver early as a reason that we have to monitor you closely because we want to make sure that we're getting a healthy baby and a healthy mom out of the picture. That's our goal. So the case pearl for this case is baby aspirin helps reduce the risk of preeclampsia, not fetal growth restriction. All right, medical intern, uh, what's our emailed question for the day? This one says, Dr. Plenty, my AFP level came back high. My OBGYN referred me for an ultrasound that returned with normal anatomy and weight for gestational age. The high risk provider said, I need ultrasounds to check growth every four weeks. However, does this mean that the baby has a high risk for Down syndrome or other chromosomal abnormalities? One, I'm glad that your OBGYN referred you to a high risk provider. So that means that you've had a detailed fetal anatomy scan that has looked at all of 
everything on the baby and it's normal. Okay. So when you have a detailed anatomy scan and it's normal, that doesn't exclude small defects because we can't rule out things that are less than three millimeters, but it rules out the majority of them. Okay. So that's a good sign. The other good sign is that your baby is normal growth. This is likely an unexplained elevated MSAFP like we talked about before at the beginning of the show. Now, you do need to have growth checked every four weeks because like I said, you have an increased risk of having a small baby and we want to make sure we know when the baby becomes small, if and when the baby becomes small. If the baby's growth ends up being smaller for the gestational age, then that's when we will initiate weekly testing to look at that flow through the placenta. Now, to your question, does your baby have a high risk of Down syndrome? Actually, high fetal alpha fetal protein is not associated with Down syndrome, okay? Down syndrome is associated with a low alpha fetal protein. So you can rest assured that your baby does not have a higher risk of Down syndrome. Does your baby have a higher risk of other chromosomal abnormalities? It depends on what the other hormones were. So if you have an isolated AFP elevation, then likely not. But trisomy 13 and 18 are associated with higher alpha fetal protein levels. Now, trisomy 13 is an extra chromosome 13, okay? So usually you get one chromosome from mom and one from dad of each chromosome number, plus either an X and an X, an X from mom and an X from dad, or an X from mom and a Y from dad to make a boy, okay? So two X's, girls, X, Y, boy. Some kind of way, we have trisomy 13, instead of those chromosomes splitting from mom or dad, those chromosomes stuck together. So you have two from mom and then one from dad, or two from dad and one from mom to make a trisomy, okay? That's with 13 or 18. That's what happens with any trisomy, really. A high alpha fetal protein is associated with one of those, but those babies usually have major defects, okay? Trisomy 13 babies usually have major brain defects. Trisomy 18 babies, 98% of them have major heart defects. And then if they don't have heart defects, they usually have something else, okay? The only time we don't see... Uh, something on those babies if, if, if they are a trisomy 13 um, and it's a uh, mosaic, meaning meaning uh, it's not complete true trisomy, okay? Or there's two 13s and a little piece of another 13, okay? So sometimes we can have those type of abnormalities. But again, those babies are usually small and they usually have some type of defect associated with them, even if it's a, a mild defect. So the fact that you have a normal sized baby, the likelihood of you having trisomy 13 or 18, mm, pretty dang on low. But I would talk to your provider if you're concerned about other genetic malformations to say, hey, did you rule out the other genetic, most common genetic conditions? Did I get a non-invasive prenatal test already or prenatal screen already? That's ruled those things out, okay? And then you could also get an amniocentesis, which is when we insert a needle into the uterus, withdraw fluid, and send it off of all the baby's genetic makeup. But we usually don't do that if you've already had a low-risk non-invasive prenatal screen, which is the blood test for Down syndrome, trisomy 13 and 18. We usually don't have to do that if that's the case, unless you just want to be 100% sure before this baby is born. I hope that that helps, but no. Your baby does not have a high risk of Down syndrome with a high AFP level. 
So I think that that's all the questions that we have for today. And my medical intern is shaking her head. Yes. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pros Podcast. I hope you've learned more about AFP, the spina bifida test, although it tells us a lot more than just our risk of spina bifida. If you like what you've heard, Please support by rating and commenting on the show on whatever platform you listen and share with your friends. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypros at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and facebook at pregnancies pearls and don't forget to subscribe to the youtube at youtube.com forward slash pregnancy pearls with dr plenty for more quick talks about pregnancy complications in closing remember to advocate for yourself you are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you thanks for listening Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details.